for anyone starting a company in 2020. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Today I speak to Tom Fallowfield, founder of Ugly Web Design Hong Kong. As my brother, he was one of the first people I spoke to when I'd found out I'd been made redundant in the midst of a global pandemic and what was only to be assumed an ensuing recession. His simple comment of, if you work that hard for other people, why don't you consider working that hard for yourself? was enough for me that day to head to Companies House registration page and luckily for Tom, I've been bugging him for advice ever since. He shares some really useful tried and tested experience on pricing, proposals and passwords. I was also really delighted to finally find out why he became self-employed in the first place. Yes, I did keep getting fired. I think I, I think I have never not been fired from a job, which is a terrible claim to fame. Yeah, um, I'm not very good at working for other people. And I sort of I've decided to own that. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining. Uh, wonderful if you could just talk through what your company is and what you do. Hi, Jules, uh, if I can call you that. You've never called um, me that in my life. <laughs> well, should I call you Pook? Well, no, best not do that either. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hi. Uh, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, my, I call my company Ugly. Uh, I started it in 2010 in Hong Kong, where I lived at the time, uh, and I've been back in the UK since I think it was 2012 or 2013. Um, um, and mysteriously still most of my customers or my clients are in Hong Kong still. Um, although I have a few significant ones here in the UK now too. We do web design and web development uh, with a bit of an e-commerce focus. Um, so far so good. Yeah. So what gave you the idea for your company 10 years ago? Why did you become self-employed? Because I think that is really interesting. Well, it's strange. In my checkered career, I had already been self-employed at one stage before then. Um, so it was a bit like going back to being self-employed. Um, I set up a company on my own initially many moons ago in 2002 called Fallowfield Solutions, um, which is a terrible name. Uh, yeah. uh, my friend, my German friend Oliver saw that I had a a shelf who helped me with the business. He was very interested into marketing and design and everything. And he, he came around to my flat and he saw a, a shelf that had been sort of half screwed into the wall and gaffer taped up, <laughs> sort of falling off. And he went, you know, Tom, that, that is a Fallowfield solution. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I cra- rapidly changed the name. And then, um, then it was Turtle Media for a while. And then Ali Reed joined me and we were partners um, in Turtle Media for a little while. And um, then we both wanted to do separate things. Um, but then after that, I went and worked for a company and then I worked for another company. And then I just sort of realized that I wanted to be self-employed again. It sort of felt natural. It sort of felt in my blood in a way. I mean, obviously, as you know, dad was always self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, the sort of, cynical bottom line of it all is if you're working hard do you really want to be working hard to line somebody else's pocket but all else being equal when you've got a job the reason that that person's employing you is so that they can make money too and so if you can 
capture that part of the supply chain as well, then you're essentially, there's, you know, all else being equal, there's a bit more of it for you. See, when I asked you this question before, you answered it far more succinctly by saying it was because I kept getting fired. And it was a bit more of a, I actually am incapable of working for anybody else. So I have to work for myself. And me observing for 20 odd years, you actually kind of fell into it and did really, it became really naturally obvious that you were better self-employed. It works for you. Well, there's an element of that too. Yes. Yes, I did keep getting fired. I think I, I think I have never not been fired from a job, which is a really? terrible claim to fame. Yeah. One of us is adopted. That's possibly true. Um, I'm not very good at working for other people. And I've sort of, I've decided to own that. And, you know, you can keep that in, I suppose. Um, Although, as you noticed, it wasn't in my original version (laughs) of the story. Um, But yes, it's, um, yeah, I I think possibly for that, that reason that I just outlined, because I end up resenting the fact that I'm getting out of bed in the morning for somebody else's profit. Um, I end up... Um, you know, sabotaging the relationship in a sort of weird subconscious manner. Well, also, to your credit, you had a taste of being self-employed from a very early age, so you knew what it was like and you weren't fearful for stepping back into it. Yeah, there's nothing to be frightened of. Um, I think I probably said that to you when you were thinking about it. Um, it has reminded me of those those relationship breakups that you always you can't imagine you can't quite imagine life after it and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off and then as soon as you've done it you kind of realize that you know what was I doing for so long I should have done that ages ago Um, the day I was made redundant you very kindly called me and we had a chat and you're like you work that hard for other people why do you not take this time to work that hard and I think you said on yourself as in go for the runs do the meditation take this time out for yourself you've had you know you've slogged your guts out for this long and then very quickly it was like why don't I work this hard for myself I have nothing to lose which was this super encouraging point for registering a company the next day. It is something that people put off and people are frightened of it. And, you know, it may go well or it may go badly, but there's certainly nothing to be frightened of. You can quite, it's quite trivial to just do your sums, find out how long it can last if no business comes in. And then for that period of time, you can just try it. And what is it you enjoy the most about running your own company? There's a, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, not being fired. <laughs> yeah, not being fired, not having a, a boss relationship that I'm frantically self-sabotaging. Uh, well, if you take the the actual work, whatever it is that you do, and put that to one side for a minute, the change in structure from doing what it is you do for someone else versus doing what it is you do for yourself. You can set your own hours. I mean, most bosses these days are flexible. They're probably more flexible than they were 10 years ago when I thought about it. But um, but even still, you're um, in, a, in, a, in a job, but there's somebody else is making the rules, really, aren't they? And when it's your thing, you can make the rules and you can come and go as you please. And actually, the fact that the, the amount of money that you make is directly connected to how much you show up means that you probably, you know, you probably are a bit more focused on it. And I th- I feel like I, I I do work harder it being for myself than I ever did for someone else. Although when I was working for someone else, I thought, wow, self-employed would be great. I can be, I can set my own hours. I can stroll in at lunchtime or whatever. But as it is, I, I rarely do. What was the best <laughs> advice you were given when you were first starting out? The best advice that I think I ever got out of anything, which was from a book I once read about consulting, I was in, the, the, the advice was, don't be too cheap. There's a huge temptation when you're sat in front of someone to win the job at all costs. Um, the thing is, if you win the job at any cost, you end up being cheap. And if you're cheap, then firstly, 
it doesn't feel very good. It feels like you're already on the back foot. So you're automatically on the back foot, exactly. But then also from the client's perspective, if you come along and you're the cheap option, they might sign on your contract and you might get the job, but they'll treat you like the cheap option. And they'll say, you know, could you just do that as well? And could you come in at the weekend? And could you do this? And could you do that? And could you do that? Because they think you're cheap. And and then if you start saying, I'm going to charge you extra for that, they're like, wait a minute, you're the cheap option. I don't want the cheap option saying they're going to charge me extra for stuff. And so it it becomes very difficult to get even a fair amount of money, let alone a healthy amount of money for your work. Uh, So yeah, don't be too cheap. It's tempting, but don't do it. Be, um, you know, be prepared to look people in the eye. And that's what the book is a bit cheesy. It was a bit American, but the book said, look people in the eye and say the fee is $25,000 and, you know, hold the eye contact. Don't be, a, don't be embarrassed mm. about your pricing, um, whatever your pricing is. You know, be, be proud. You're, you should believe in yourself. You should feel that you're doing a good job. You should feel in your bones that you're better than the competition and you should price yourself accordingly. In terms of working out your pricing, obviously you do comp set analysis and you work out where you are in the market and what people are charging around you and is it working out your point of difference when it comes to pricing mm, yeah 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 exactly i mean you know you, I, I, I suppose i suppose you might not be able to start your business as the most expensive person in the market but yes exactly you, you're, you're completely right you should know you should know very well where you are relative to everyone else in the field and then be able to justify that you know so if you're if you're slightly if you're five percent more expensive than joe blogs down the road then you should be able to say why you should always put yourself in the customer's shoes. Customer's point of view, they're going to have that feature, which is worth this much to them. If you price by value, you'll be able to much better match the sort of profitability of what you're doing. Where do you draw the line on how much content you put in your initial proposals? The proposal, you've got to picture somebody quite busy reading the proposal um, and you just want to make them nod their head lots of times as they're going through it going yeah they've remembered that and they sound like they know what they're talking about with that you don't have to go into every single detail of what you'll do um it's a chance to talk about you as a business and what you've done already and why you're a good choice you don't want to go into insane levels of detail about what you're actually Mm. going to do because apart from anything else because then they might not need to hire you they might just be able to take your proposal to someone cheaper and you know especially the useful ones are the ones that people don't sign and then you can phone them up and just say why and oh, so always ask for feedback no matter what the result especially if it's a no because those those guys are those guys are valuable those are the ones you can learn from as someone who says yes you've done it right and you've got nothing you can improve but if someone says no then presumably you could do something a bit differently the, the other thing to remember about proposal writing is um is is it, a proposal has a fairly limited job um every part of your of your sales funnel um, has a has a really specific job and it shouldn't try and do more than just satisfy that job so the thing that you're doing at that stage um, be that the website or be that the you know your your initial first response to their first email or you, your proposal or your any kind of follow-up or anything like that it has a specific job which is just to get them to the next stage of that process and so and if your proposal tries to do more than just that or your website tries to do more than just that just going to waste a lot of time or, or, or possibly even put people off. So given you're a web designer, your advice to me when I was starting out, so day one, made redundant, day two, registered a company, day three, I must have a website immediately. And you're like, no, 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 take a breath, have a think and just draft. Because if I didn't know you and needed to brief a web designer, I would save so much more time and effort and money if I had properly drafted what my content should be before I then go and talk to somebody about building me a website. Because I didn't even think about this, but 
you said if you draft, you can then go in and out of it as often as you like to edit it and you'll be tweaking it left, right and centre and you'll be meticulous over it. And if you start briefing a web designer and they have to make those tweaks, you're just going to waste budget. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a clever old me to do. So build a website for yourself is quite a hard thing to do. And there's a million decisions to make. If you have to make all of those decisions yourself, then it's it's very daunting and very difficult and it takes forever. Um, some of those decisions, if you outsource the design or the development or the copywriting of your website, a lot of those decisions will, will become part of that that brief. So the best way to do it, um, to not go mad, is to divide it up into different jobs. Like the, today, I'm going to do the text for my website. Tomorrow, I'm going to source the photos for my website. The next day, I'm going to you know design the website, whatever. So they're all they're all very different jobs, and you can't do them all at the same time. What do you enjoy the least about being self-employed? Uh, doing my taxes, uh, not because I have any objection to paying tax, which I don't at all, but I have an objection to administrative tasks. It does make me laugh. My birthday and the end of the financial year happen every year, yet you're just <laughs> not into it. It's just a no-go. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of switch off around January. I don't know what it is. I just can't, can't do Januarys. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh, God, in the financial year, how did that happen? It's like, surely it happened. And then speaking to your also good advice was get a great accountant. When we were having these initial chats, when I was thinking about being self-employed, you talked a lot about the fact that I was no longer allowed to use our family dead cat's name as my password for everything. <laughs> and it pained me that I had to go through every logon, every app. But now that I, I think it was LastPass that you recommended as a secure password system. Is that what you call it? System? And what you said about the software that you use, you can see how often someone is trying the handle to hack you and you can see how often they're nudging that door. That really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's the thing about the internet is it's, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, but it's also a slightly creepy thing at the same time. Um, so I've got a lot of things to say uh, about what you just said. So the first thing is that I, I'm certainly not an expert in computer security and I, I don't pretend to be one. Um, but yes, you're not allowed to use Wilfred's name as your password there. I've said it on the air now, so you definitely can't use Wilfred oh, as your God. password anymore. Um, because um, because you shouldn't use any name. Because there is, even if it was somebody else's cat, then it would still not be a secure password because names appear in the dictionary and they appear in lists of names. And people who are trying to run a brute force attack on a password have lists of names at their disposal, funnily enough, and they run through them automatically. And then they put O one one at the end or exclamation mark at the end. And they try that as well. And then they try it with all the I's replaced with ones and all the E's replaced with threes. And they try that really quickly. No they, words. No dictionary words. One good trick, if you're trying to think of a password, is to think of a sentence that you can remember. So you could say the sentence could be Wilfred was our family cat. And then your password from that would be WW. O, which you could replace with a zero, FC. Mm. That is a string of letters and numbers that will not be appearing in any dictionary. So that is already a massive step up, but that's also quite memorable for you too. Um, the other thing to say about the security of online systems is, is, is there's no such thing. Running a web server and looking through the logs and seeing all of the password brute force attempts is, it's a bit like a zombie apocalypse. Um, and, and all of these, seeing all these faceless zombies bumping up against the front door of your house. If the door's not locked, one of them's going to get in. So day one, ensure you've encrypted all of your passwords, both personal and professional. I, I don't mind admitting that I use LastPass and I have recommended it to people. But again, it's not without its flaws. Their server might get hacked. And if their server gets hacked, then all of your passwords 
are there. As I said, you have to you have to weigh the convenience against the risk, and I, I that's where I feel comfortable. I think what's reassuring for me now is I don't know my passwords for anything, so I don't even try. If it if it doesn't work. And I haven't got access to LastPass, so be it. It's not going to happen. I just don't. <laughs> I spent years looking at trying. Is it this? Is it Wilfred with a capital W? Or is it actually Monty this time? So I know what I don't know, which is quite a relief. And I've delegated it to LastPass, which thank you for that has been helpful. Um, so we know SEO is important when you start a company, but I was hoping you could explain a bit further as to why. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, SEO is, well, uh, it depends on your business model. If your business model relies on new leads from the internet that you're not paying for with advertising, then SEO is obviously really important. Um, if your business relies on word of mouth or paid advertising, then it's less important, although it's still useful. And it is actually one of the cheapest ways of, um, of generating new business. Uh, if you're running something like an e-commerce store, margins are probably so tight that you need to do SEO. If you do pay about paid advertising, you probably won't make any profit. Um, so SEO is very important to a lot of people. And it's one of those zero-sum games where he's, uh, where one person's success in achieving a top ranking, for example, is automatically someone else's failure. So it's a constant arms race. It's a constant, it's a constant process. And really, SEO, unless you're a enterprise level corporation if you're a small business seo isn't really something you can outsource i would say that's a slightly controversial view especially for a web designer it's definitely something that you should try and do yourself if you possibly can and that is one of the annoying facts about the modern world is that not only do you need to be a plumber but you need to get home at six o'clock in the evening completely exhausted and then write a blog about being a plumber um in order to get anywhere in the search engine. Blogging is content marketing, as we should call it, is one of the most popular ways of, of you know, you exchanging your time for SEO success. Obviously, search engines read text. They sort of consume text. And the more text you feed them through your website, the more happy they become with you and the better your website does in, the, in their search results. Um, so producing a lot of text, as you would do if you were writing articles or a blog or not even necessarily a sort of chronological blog, but if you're creating lots of product pages for your different products or, or just writing a, you know, encyclopedia like content about your industry, um, it's vital. It's text. It's text that's full of the keywords that are related to your business. And the other massive benefit to that is because you're producing hopefully interesting and high quality content, there's a strong chance that other people on the internet will see this content and go, Oh, that's Juliet Fallowfield's written a really interesting article about communications. I'm going to put a link to that article on my website. And then as soon as you start getting inbound links to your content, Google sees those links and it starts seeing, I use Google as shorthand for all the search engines because it is 91% of the search engines. As soon as you start having inbound links to your content, um, ranking um, improves dramatically because when Google sees two otherwise identical pages, the one that's got all the links pointing to it is obviously the more interesting page. And so Google will promote that page. Um, and that's why presumably editorial, digital editorial does really well for brands because it's feeding back yes. to that brand's website. It, it's often a it's often a bit of a conflict when I'm building someone on your website. Um, they'll have a, an idea in their head of how they want their homepage to look and it's all images or no text. Text, you, you know, the, the humans are not the only things looking at your website. That's the thing. It's also there to appease these uh, these search engine spiders who are looking through and saying, hmm, which keywords have been used here? Ah, put it in there 500 times 
then Google is wise to that. Um, so, uh, you know, you can't, that's called keyword stuffing. It has to be, yeah, it has to be genuine. Um, and Google just, Google is very clever and more and more clever all the time. And Google's objective is to keep its market share and it keeps its market share by providing relevant and timely results to searches in its search. It pays so, off when you've put the hard work in. Yes, it does. I mean, there's no cheats. Well, there is a cheat. Um, and funnily enough, it's also run by Google. Um, and the way to bypass all the hard work of writing a blog is to, dig deep into your pocket and pay for Google ads or pay-per-click PPC um, ads. And they you pay um, you pay money every time someone clicks on your ad. Uh, you can determine which keywords will trigger your ad. So if you're selling widgets in Battersea, your ad will only show up when someone searches for widgets in Battersea. But unlike with SEO, where you might have to run a blog for three years to get anywhere. With pay-per-click advertising, your, your advert can appear tomorrow today right now in 20 minutes um the problem with it is that you pay per click and the amount you pay is done by this incredibly cunning opaque system where you you that that slot for that advert is auctioned between all of the people trying to advertise for widgets in battersea and the person who's prepared to pay the most gets the slot You'll all be running similar businesses. You'll all be paying approximately the same rent and making the same margin on your widgets. And so you, but what happens is the cost of those adverts will rise until you're all paying about the same. And what ends up happening is Google takes a large chunk out of all of your profits. And so the only real winner in this is Google. I advise my clients to use Google ads in the short term if they're doing a product launch and they need to get a load of exposure really quickly and they don't necessarily need to make a profit on each click. So it's far more cost effective to get some decent content and copy on your website. Yes, it is. A friend gave me some amazing advice of how to delegate and you work out your hourly rate. And if it's cheaper to pay somebody else to do that job because their hourly rate is less than yours, then delegate. Um, is that, yes, that good, is good advice? advice? I would say that anything that you can get someone else to do, you should get someone else to do. Um, and that, again, it's very counterintuitive when you're running your own business. You think, I'm going to save every penny that I can by doing everything myself and I'm going to work till midnight. And, yeah, so uh, after running the business as a one-man band for about four years, I hired my uh, lead developer, Alan, and um, it was insane the difference that that made. He's amazing, so I was an amazing piece of luck to find him. The process of hiring anyone makes such a big difference because it changes the way you feel about the whole business. It means that you can take on more work, you can say yes to more people, you can get more things done, and you can focus on the things that you are good at. Every task in the running of a business is someone's dream job. Um, and also, Every task in the running of a business is probably not your dream job. <laughs> so find someone whose dream job it is to do your taxes. Yeah. It's their dream job, they'll do it better and they'll do it quicker. It's, it's always, it's, again, it's one of those decisions that you put off for ages because you're worried that it's going to be a terrifying change to the whole business. And yet the moment you've done it, you think, why the hell did I do this five years ago? That is golden. Thanks, Tom. That's really helpful. Hey, you're really welcome. All right. Thanks very much for having me. It's been really fun. If you'd like to learn more about web design, all of Tom's contact details are in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice he has shared. And for any random hackers who might be listening, Wilfred is sadly no more, both in his physical presence as well as my cybersecurity. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. 
I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. I would be delighted if you'd rate, review and share this podcast with anyone else who might be starting a company in 2020.